0: worshiping with New Grace in Roanoke, Virginia this morning. We are honored that you are tuning in and we believe that God is going to use this service in your life and the lives of many others. We are walking through a very difficult and trying time as a society. As a result of everything happening in our world today, how we gather as a church looks very different. We are all used to gathering together on our church campus, but for now, we will worship together through technology. Though this is a very different format, our desire as a church is still the same. Our desire is to worship Jesus and encourage the believer. As you watch this service today, whether by yourself or with your family, I want to encourage you to participate in this time of worship. As our team leads us, let us sing with passion. As we are led in prayer together, let's cry out to God in desperation. As Pastor Sean teaches us from the word, let's be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as he speaks. Also, be an encouragement to our worship team by participating. Comment that you are watching. Comment on things the Holy Spirit brings to your heart. Post a picture of you and your family worshiping together on our Facebook page. And then thank you for joining us today as we worship the Father. We pray you are blessed and encouraged from this service today.
1: Good morning, New Grace. Let's celebrate together. Let's sing out together this morning. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's harrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. Joy, so Christian, lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and he lives, he lives Christ Jesus lives today He walks with me and talks with me Along life's narrow way He lives, he lives Salvation to impart You ask me how I know he lives He lives within you how great the chasm i yes. yes. Everybody save your on that could Transcription
2: making a difference all over the world. We're able to partner with missionaries globally to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because of your continued financial investment. So even though we're not all gathered together physically on this campus this week, I want to challenge you to continue to honor God with your resources by giving through new grace for the sake of the mission of God. There are multiple ways you can give. You can give online at reachingroanoke.com and clicking the donate button. You can also mail your gift to 1527 Guilford Avenue, Northwest, Roanoke, Virginia 24017. You can also text your gift using your phone to 540 572 4654. We're going to continue our service now, and one thing we believe as we seek God in prayer. We experience God in power. So right now, Pastor Sean is going to lead us at a time of Scripture-fed, Spirit-led prayer.
3: Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2 say this, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we come to you this morning in need of your help. Lord, we are in a very unusual and a very difficult time. God, people are scared. People are hurting. And Lord, people are searching for answers. God, in these trying times, we we look to you. Lord, we understand that we won't find true help in the medical field. We won't find true help from politicians. The only place we will truly find lasting help real help is from you. So, Lord, we look to you for help this morning. On this Easter Sunday, it's it's even more evident how much we need you. Lord, we can't meet and celebrate this resurrection like we want to, like we, we normally would. But, Lord, we still worship you. Lord, we still praise you and thank you for your resurrection. And we also look to you now more than ever for your help. Lord, we ask that you would intervene in this situation. Lord, we ask that you would stop the spread of this virus. Lord, we ask you to protect those who are working hard to keep people safe and to keep our society going like it is. Lord, we we pray for the nurses and the doctors. Lord, we think of the police, the EMTs and firemen. Lord, we, we pray for those making deliveries and the truck drivers, the teachers who are going above and beyond during this difficult time to, to teach our children. Lord, we, we think of those who are still essential and that we take for granted. God, we ask you to keep them safe, protect them. Lord, we ask that you would be though with those who have lost jobs during this time. Lord, we pray that you would give them the wisdom and the grace that they need. Lord, comfort them and draw them to you. But most, most of all, Lord, we pray for your will in this situation. We pray that your will would be fulfilled and that your people would be revived and draw closer to you. We pray for those that are lost, and Lord, we pray that this pandemic would make them begin to question their beliefs and, Lord, have them search out true answers. Lord, we, we pray for your people to be passionate about sharing the gospel during this time. Lord, as we celebrate the resurrection this morning, we we pray that you would resurrect in the hearts of your children a desire to give you the preeminence that you deserve to pursue you passionately and to build your kingdom courageously. Lord, we now pray for the message this morning to speak to each and every heart. Lord, we ask that you would comfort and strengthen the believer. Lord, we ask more that you would convict the lost and draw them to you. Help them, Lord, to see their need of salvation. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit right now. God, I pray that you would help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said. And Lord, help me not to say what I should not say. Lord, also pray that your spirit would reach even through this technology. And Lord, touch the heart of everyone listening. Comfort us, encourage us. Give us hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: He was led to Golgotha On the outskirts of town Then nailed to a rugged cross As the mockers gathered round The sky spoke like thunder finally bowed his head, he who had given life now hung there dead. Then his mom and some friends came to carry him away. They were trying to speak through a broken heart what only tears could say. The sunset cast no shadow. On the world's darkest day And with one last look They laid him in the grave But I talked to him today And my cares all fell away
0: He made me feel like life had just
1: begun He said all of my trials can be turned the victory that he's already won. And I talked to him today, and the comfort that he gave filled me with desire to tell. I talk to him today. Mary Magdalene came breathless to the place where Peter lay. He was searching through his broken heart, trying to find the faith to pray. But as he heard her joyful story, his sorrow could not stay. And his hopes sprang up through the words he heard her say. She said, I talked to him today, and my cares all fell away. He made me feel like life had just begun. He said, all of my trials to be turned into triumph. to him today and the comfort that he gave filled me with desire to tell the world that on calvary he died but right now he is alive i know because i talked to him today yes on But right now, He is alive. I know because I talked to Him today.
3: Happy Resurrection Day, everybody. Uh, Today, of course, is Easter Sunday. Uh, It's a very special time for believers all across the world. It's a very special time for the church. And today, even though we can't worship like we normally would, even though we can't meet together and show off our new dresses and our new ties and our, our new shirts. We we still want to worship and and praise God for the resurrected Savior. So this morning, we're going to be in our Bibles in one of the gospel stories of the resurrection, Luke chapter number 24. So go ahead and turn there now to Luke chapter number 24. Now, Easter is a special time for Christians. to. To me, it's even more special than Christmas. You know, Christmas, even though we are celebrating the birth of Christ, it has, has really become a time for families to gather together and, and enjoy traditions and celebrations in each other. Uh, non-believers even celebrate Christmas now. Uh, Christmas is, is full of traditions. It's, it's full of memories and Easter has its own traditions. Don't get me wrong. I know a lot of you this morning are not able to do the typical Easter tradition that you're used to, but it's not nearly as big and as nearly as celebrated in our culture. But but for me, Easter is a, a much bigger deal. Uh, for me, Easter has more reverence. It's it's more humbling. It brings a greater devotion from the heart of the believer. So today, uh, I want us to understand what Easter is, what, what we are celebrating today. We are not celebrating the fact that winter is over and spring is here, though we're happy about that. Uh, I personally hate winter, and so I, I'm grateful that winter has passed and spring is here and it looks like, knock on wood... We may avoid the snow of winter. And I know we could get a late spring snow, but typically it's, it's over. Winter's over. The days are getting longer. The, the days are warmer. Uh, trees are starting to bud. Flowers are starting to bloom. People are planting gardens, and, and they're outside more. Uh, but we're not celebrating that. Today, we celebrate because as Christians, we believe that Christ literally and physically rose from the dead. We believe it. It's not something that we think might have happened. It's, it's not a good story to us. We don't think it's an analogy. We firmly believe that Jesus is alive today. We don't use it as a lesson like, well, Jesus got up when he was dead, so when my times are tough and I'm, I'm going through a difficult time, I can get up as well. We believe that Jesus Christ was literally and physically killed. He literally and physically died on the cross. He was placed in a borrowed tomb for three days, and then three days later, three literal days later, on that first Easter Sunday morning, he rose from the grave. He physically resurrected from the grave. We, as Christians, believe that. It is the core of our faith. And we've, we've embraced that belief, we've embraced that truth, and we've embraced the implications that it brings to our lives. You know, Jesus is the most well-known name in the world. He is known on every continent, He is known in, in every, every nation, and the resurrection is the most well-known and well-documented event in history. Jesus has been on the cover of more magazines than, than anyone else. He has been the topic of more debate than anyone else. He, he is included in every major world religion. Everyone has an opinion about the resurrection. It's either the foundation of our faith or it's a fairy tale. If the resurrection is true, then the Bible... And everything about our faith is true. If the resurrection is not true, then none of this is true. None of the Bible is true. None of the core beliefs we hold so dear are true. If Christ literally raised from the grave, then we have all the reason in the world to have hope and to live a transformed life for His glory. Paul, in, in one of his letters to the Corinthian church, he said that if Jesus didn't literally rise from the grave, then all of our faith is in vain. Everything we do is, is empty and worthless and pointless. 1 Corinthians 4.15 says this, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and our faith is also vain? The, the only problem is, or the only great thing about that is, it did happen. Jesus literally rose from the dead. And as we continue our, our series this morning on the promises of God that we can cling to during changing times, let's, let's see the promise of hope that the resurrection gives us. So get your Bibles open. Turn to Luke chapter number 24. We're going to read from verse 1 all the way down through verse number 12. Bible says, Now upon the first day of the week... Very early in the morning they came to the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again, and they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Jonah and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to be to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Then Peter arose and ran unto the sepulcher and stooping down, he beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves and departed wondering in himself that which was come to pass. There are... A lot of theories uh, in the world to that people have come up with as a way to try to explain the story of the resurrection. And the interesting thing is that there is more historical evidence to support the truth of the resurrection than there is to support the truth of America's battle for independence. And it's, it's funny to me to see people go to such great lengths to disprove an event that is, that is backed up by historical documents that history tells us happen, and at the same time they blindly believe truths that have no proof to back it up. Uh, one common truth that everyone seems to know is that the Great Wall of China is the only man-made structure that is visible from space by the naked eye. I'm sure you've all heard that fact, but there's a a couple things wrong with it. First of all, uh, there are a lot of man-made structures visible from space with the naked eye. For instance, our cities. Uh, At night, you can see New York lit up uh, from outer space. You can see other huge structures that have been built by man. Uh, The second problem with that truth is that you cannot see the Great Wall of China. Uh, No matter how hard you peer with a naked eye, you cannot see the Great Wall of China uh, from space. Uh, Most of us have heard that if you swallow a piece of gum, it takes seven years to work its way through your digestive tract. Uh, Thankfully, this isn't true either. Gum, it will go through your body at the same speed as anything else that you eat. But the death and the resurrection of Jesus are doubted even though there are massive historical evidences to back it up. And to, to deal with the undeniable historical uh, evidence of the resurrection, people have, have come up with four different theories. The first theory is that the women, when they went to anoint the body of Jesus, they simply went to the wrong tomb. Uh, the women were were so grief-stricken that they went to the wrong place. Now, I understand that that's possible. But if that's what happened, how come no one ever corrected them? How come no one ever said, no, no, ladies, you're in the wrong place. Joseph of Arimathea was the one who put him in his own tomb. So why didn't Joseph of Arimathea, who was a follower of Christ, tell these women that they, they had it wrong? You know, the Pharisees were trying to stop any teaching or any myth that that they figure would be or any, any evidence of Jesus' resurrection. So why didn't they just tell everyone that they went to the wrong tomb? Why didn't they take everyone to the right tomb to show them the body of Christ? They didn't do that because they went to the right tomb. And when they went there, there was no body to see. The second theory people come up with is that they, the believers hallucinated the resurrection. Uh, they were so grief-stricken, they wanted it to be true so badly that they imagined it. The, the problem with this theory is, besides the fact that once again the Pharisees, to Stop this rumor from going around. Would have once again showed people the dead body. The other problem is other people besides these women. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us four hundred people saw Jesus alive. It it wasn't just a few people talking about this truth that Jesus has risen from the dead. Hundreds of people saw the risen Savior and reported it. So they saw Jesus after his after his crucifixion and they recognized him as Jesus. He he sat with them. He ate with them. He lived with them for 40 days. So if this was a hallucination, it was the longest and most widespread hallucination in history. The third theory is what people call the swoon theory. Uh, This says that Jesus didn't die. He simply passed out from his injuries. He was, had such loss of blood. He was so in shock from his injuries that he, he simply passed out and they thought he was dead. Now, sadly, this was a, a pretty common occurrence in history. There have been uh, graves of, of Civil War soldiers who have been uh, excavated where they found that these soldiers after they had been buried, had pulled out their hair because they weren't actually dead. They were only passed out or only in shock or maybe in a coma. And so they were buried and then they woke up in their grave and tore their hair out out of panic before they actually died. This actually was, was so common that in the 18th century, uh, they installed bells on caskets. So that if someone who they thought was dead after they were buried woke up, they could ring the bell, and people would free them from their grave. It's a pretty pretty terrible thing to happen to you, uh, and it did was a very common occurrence, so maybe Jesus wasn't dead. Maybe he just passed out from his injuries he He woke up three days later. And even though he had passed out from blood loss, he he moved the stone away, beat up the Roman soldiers, and, and walked home. Uh, David Friedrich, he's a secular historian. He said this, he said, It is impossible that a being who had been stolen half-dead out of the sepulcher, who crept about weak and ill, wanting medical treatment, who required bandaging, strengthening, and indulgence, who still at last yielded to his sufferings, could have given the disciples the impression that he was a conqueror over death and the grave, the prince of life. What what he's saying here is there's there's no way that Jesus could have been crucified, could have been scourged, have his his flesh ripped off, could have been nailed to a cross, could have, have had his heart punctured by a spear after he passed out, Uh, come, there's no way that he could have come out of the grave in any shape to instill confidence in his followers that he was the risen savior. He would have passed out and they would have bandaged his wounds. They would have taken care of him and he, he probably still would have died. So the swoon theory doesn't hold up to just medical knowledge. There's a fourth theory, and the fourth theory is that his body was stolen. This one's the most popular. Uh, This says that the disciples simply stole the body of Christ and faked the resurrection. And of course, they did this to promote the master's teachings and to prove that he was who he said he was. The problem with that, again, is the 400 plus people who saw Jesus, ate with Jesus, talked with Jesus, touched Jesus, and spent time with Jesus for 40 days before he ascended to heaven on the Mount of Olives. Also... The disciples were pretty cowardly. Remember the story in the Garden of Gethsemane? When the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus, they all fled. So these, these cowardly men who were, were so scared for their own lives, they weren't even present at the crucifixion, were going to take on trained Roman soldiers to steal the body of Christ. The literal bodily resurrection of Jesus... It's not a nice story that we believe in. It is a historical fact, but more important than that, it's a biblical fact. And the fact of this incredible event, it gives us the promise of a greater hope. A hope that we can cling to during these difficult times. And so this morning, I want to point out three groups of people that this event gives hope to. Number one, there is hope for the hurting. Look back at verse number one in Luke chapter 24. It says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, and, and bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. As these women came to the tomb that first Easter morning, they were hurting. They, they were not going to see Jesus rise from the dead as he, he said that He would. They were going to prepare His body for burial. They were going to give him what they thought the respect that he deserved in his death. They were hurt. They'd been weeping, they'd been upset. And so what they were doing as they go to prepare His body in Jewish culture, it was a sign of grief and mourning the man that they had put their hopes in, they had seen die on the cross three days later. And we know that they didn't expect that because other gospel accounts tell us that when they come to the empty tomb and they see the angel there, they ask the angel what he did with the body. They didn't even believe Jesus was risen then. The angel had to tell them that he wasn't there. The resurrection of Jesus gives hope to those who are hurting, and it gives greater hope than we could find anywhere else in the world. First of all, it gives us hope from the sting of death. As you study the lives of the followers of Jesus, he was, he was everything to them. These men, they, they gave up everything to follow Christ. They, they gave up law practices. They gave up good jobs as tax collectors. They gave up fishing Uh, ventures. They gave up everything to follow him. When Mary Magdalene, when she met Christ in Luke 8, she was plagued by demons. She had a past. She had a reputation. She had such a bad reputation that Jesus was criticized by the religious rulers of the day for even talking to her, for even having anything to do with her. She had no hope. But when Jesus met her, He cast out the demons from her, he set her free, and he became her personal savior. And from that time on, she followed Jesus. And as she watched him die on the cross, she felt incredible pain. As she watched him suffer, as she watched him be scourged, As she watched him be nailed to the cross and hung between heaven and earth. As she watched him cry out, Father forgive them, they know not what they do. As she heard him cry out, it is finished, and watched him die. She suffered incredible pain. The one who had set her free, the one that she had given her life to follow, she saw die. She was one of the last people at the cross when he died. She was One of the first people there at the tomb after he had rose. When she came to the tomb, she was hurting from the sting of death. But the empty tomb gives hope that we can escape death. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, "'O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory?' When Jesus rose from the dead, he he redeemed us to God the Father. He proved once and for all that he was who he said he was. He was God. And he, his, he had paid our sin debt and God had accepted his sacrifice as payment for our sin. But when he rose from the dead, he did so much more than that. He conquered death for the believer. For the believer, death is no longer a sad time. It's a victory because we close our eyes in death and we open them in heaven and no more do we have to suffer with sickness and illness and pain and heartache and relationship problems and financial problems. When we close our eyes in death, we are free from the bonds of this earth and we open our eyes to see our Savior face to face. Death is not the end for the believer. It is victory. So we have hope from this thing of death. We no longer have to fear death because of the resurrection. We have hope that death is not defeat for us, death is victory. There's hope from this thing of death, but there's also hope from doubt. Look at verse number four. It says, and it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now they did not these these ladies, they did not come to the tomb expecting to celebrate the resurrection. They came to say goodbye to their master. And they arrive filled with doubt, doubting that he would rise, doubting that he was the Messiah, doubting that he was going to bring in God's kingdom. And when, we, when they see the empty tomb, they, they don't rejoice. They're confused. Then they speak to the angel. Look at verse number five. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And then verse 8, And they remembered his words. There he, He reminds them, these angels remind them of what Jesus had taught them while he was with them. The the words he had said, and their doubt melts away and they are able to rejoice because what they had trusted in while Jesus was alive has happened. Their faith has become sight. Even though they doubted, even though they didn't believe it, they said they believed it, but their actions prove otherwise, their faith became sight. Then look again at verse 8, and they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven, and lo, to all the rest. They remembered, they trust, and they tell others. When we are hurting and doubting, and I understand in this this current situation, there's a lot of doubt going around. Even in Christian circles, people doubting what God is doing, doubting that God's doing anything, doubting God's work in our life. And so when we are hurting and doubting what God is doing, it is important to remember his words, to remember his promises to us. For instance, in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, this is a promise that he gave us. He said, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ." from the dead. Look, the fact of the matter is we are going to suffer. And I'm not just talking about in this time when this is over and life returns to to normal, uh, we can begin to think, oh, it's all over. There's no more pain, but we'll suffer again. We'll, We'll have pain again. We will face doubt again. But through all of that, the resurrection gives us hope. Hope that death has lost its sting and hope that God will keep his word. So there's hope. There, there's hope for the hurting in the resurrection. But there's also, the second group, there is hope for the guilty. Look at verse number 12. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering himself at that which was come to pass. On the the night of Jesus' arrest and trial, Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times, just as Jesus said that he would at the Passover meal the night before. And after this, of course, the, the cock crows and Peter remembers the words of Jesus and he goes out and he weeps bitterly because he is filled with guilt for what he's done. The next day, he sees Jesus scourged and crucified, and he sees Jesus dies, he sees Jesus is buried, and Peter has, has no chance to make things right with the man that he loved. He has no chance to go back to Jesus and apologize or, or try to make it right. Now, there's no hope for him to make it right, and so when the ladies come, he thinks maybe there's a chance, and he, he runs to the tomb, and he sees the tomb empty, and he's still, he doesn't, wonder, he doesn't know what's going on. The Bible says he ponders all these. He's, he's like, he has no idea what's happening. He leaves wondering what it all means. And the Bible tells us later, he even goes back to his old life of fishing. Why? Because he had a lot of guilt. He was guilty from what he had done earlier in his life. So where did his guilt come from? First of all, he had guilt from pride. In Mark chapter 14, on the night before the crucifixion, Jesus tells his disciples that they will all be offended because of him. He says, you're all going to be offended because of me. You're going to, be, you're going to scatter when things get tough. And Peter says, Lord, these guys, they may do it. Thomas, he's going to, he's going to doubt what's going on and run away. Matthew, yeah, he's a coward. He's out of here. Mark, pff, yeah, don't worry about Mark. But Lord, me, I'm not going anywhere. I'll stay with you no matter what. He was prideful. He was arrogant, because even later on, Jesus tells him, says, Peter, Satan wants to sift you as the wheat, and you, you won't even stay and pray. You cannot defeat Satan in your own power. But Peter thought he could. Peter had a lot of pride, and when he denied Jesus, his, his pride was hurt. And his pride caused him guilt that he couldn't deal with. We Every one of us have sinned. And every single sin is rooted in pride. Our desire to be first. Our desire to get what we want. Our desire to get what we think we deserve. Every sin is rooted in pride and that brings guilt. But there is hope for the guilty because of the resurrection. In Mark's record of the resurrection, Peter is singled out. In Mark chapter 16 verse 7, Jesus as he's or the angels as they're talking to the women, they say, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. Christ wanted Peter to know that he could be forgiven, that there was hope for him. Because he arose, we have an advocate with the Father. Because he arose, we have a high priest that offers forgiveness of all. You may have guilt in your life right now because of some sin that You can't seem to break the chains of. No one knows about it, but you know about it. And it causes you guilt. It causes you shame. But because of your pride, you don't want to seek help. You don't want to seek forgiveness. Or maybe you feel like you're not worthy of forgiveness. The resurrection gives us hope that there is forgiveness available to every single person that seeks it out. Peter was guilty because of his pride, and Peter was guilty because of his prayerlessness. In Mark 14, Jesus, he goes to pray, and he asks Peter and a couple others to to come and pray with him, and as Jesus is praying, he's praying great drops of blood. He's beseeching the Father to not allow this, this event to happen. He's asking God to let the cup of his wrath pass over him. And he's in great turmoil, battling with the will of God. And, and he finally surrenders to the will of God. But he's, he's asking Him to pray with them, and they fall asleep. Even Peter, the one who would never forsake him, the one who would never turn his back on him, the one who would always be there for him, is asleep. They can't even pray. And so Jesus, he rebukes them. And he says, Peter, the devil is, is trying to work you over and, and you can't even pray for one hour. Peter blew it. He let Jesus down. How? He neglected his walk with the Savior. And that's something every single one of us has done from time to time. Every single one of us, myself included, we have blown it when it comes to our walk with God. We've led Jesus down. We don't read our Bible like we should. We don't pray like we should. And we are guilty of prayerlessness. But for Peter and for us, there's hope. There's forgiveness. And there is a Savior who is alive today and eager To fellowship with you. Peter blew it big time. But when Jesus rose, his angel said, Hey, go tell the others, but be sure to tell Peter. Be sure to tell Peter. He he may have blown it, but there's forgiveness for him. There's hope for him. There's hope for the hurting. There's hope for the guilty. And finally, there is hope for the lost. Look at verse number 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together all of these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. On the, that first Easter morning after Jesus arose, two of his disciples they are, are taking a, a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're trying to get out of town, is what they're doing. The crucifixion had scattered the believers. Some of them were in hiding in Jerusalem. These two guys are like, you know what? It's best that we just get out of here. So they're, they're trying to escape to Emmaus. They're, they're discouraged, obviously. They saw Jesus die too. They saw him be taken down from the cross. They saw his side pierced. They saw him put in the tomb. They saw the stone rolled in front. They knew he was dead. They're discouraged. They're doubting. They are spiritually and emotionally lost. They don't know where to go from here. So there's a reason about all these things. And everything they had hoped for, everything they had hoped in, seemed to be wrong, and they had no idea what to do next. And Jesus finds them, and he shows them that there is hope for the lost. Why? Because there is a compassionate Savior. Verse 15 says that as they're they're walking and reasoning and talking, that Jesus draws near to them. He draws near to them, and starts walking with him. He didn't make them come to him. He wasn't way up in the road saying, hey, it's Jesus. Y'all come talk to me, and I'll, I'll make you feel better. They're walking. They're discouraged. They're spiritually lost. They're emotionally lost, and Jesus draws to him. Jesus is not a distant Savior waiting for us to find him. He is not a distant Savior wanting us to search out and prove our worth to him. Jesus is a loving, compassionate Savior that came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is the good shepherd that goes into the wilderness to find that one lost sheep among the 99, that risks everything to go find that one lost sheep. To go, he, he, he's the one that gave up everything, left the glory of heaven to come to earth to seek you and me. God seeks you out and He draws near to you. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came to us. We don't have to find him. We don't have to make ourselves worthy of him. We don't have to go on some great spiritual journey to find him. God came to us. And the fact that he came to us gives us hope because that tells us God wants to be with us. I want you to think about that statement. God wants to be with you. Look, we've all been stuck inside now for three weeks. Some of you are kind of getting tired of your family. Your kids are probably driving you crazy. Maybe your spouse is getting on your nerves a bit, and all you want is to be alone. And you can look at those people, and they're probably annoyed with you too. And you can see how you're annoying them, and they're annoying you, and say, why would anyone want to be with me? But God wants to be with you. He left the glories of heaven to come down to find us, to redeem us. There is hope for the lost because there's a compassionate Savior, and there's hope for the lost because there is a continuing message. Look at verse number 31. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known to them in breaking of bread. These, these men, they're, they're walking on the road. They're kind of discouraged. They don't know what's going, to, what's going to happen in the future. Jesus comes to them. He doesn't, they don't know it's him. He's kind of hidden himself from them. But while they're walking, he encourages them through the Bible. He takes them from the Old Testament all the way through the Old Testament and shows them the prophecies that the Messiah would come, would die, and would rise again to, to give them hope that what they were doing and what they were experiencing was real. Then he sits down and breaks bread with them. And when he breaks bread, their eyes are open and they see it's Jesus and when they, their eyes were opened to the hope of the truth of, a resurre- of the resurrection, the next thing they did was go tell other people, was go tell the others what they had experienced. This message is hope for all of the lost because this message brings forgiveness of sins. Look at verse number 48, 46. And it said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it, believed, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. See, this message is hope for all the lost because this message brings forgiveness of sin. The hope of the resurrection was never meant to stay in one place. It was meant to go throughout the entire world to every nation, to every tribe, to every tongue. All the world is to hear the hope of salvation that we have because of the empty tomb. The world is filled with lost people. Our city, Roanoke, is filled with lost and needy people with no hope. And we as believers have the hope that we can share with them. You know, typically, a grave is a place of mourning. It's a place of hurting. It's a place of lost potential. It's a place of doubt and fear. But the empty tomb, that's a place of hope. It's a greater hope than we can find anywhere else in the world. There's hope for the hurting. There's hope for the guilty. And there's hope for the lost. No matter who you are this morning, no matter what you are going through today, the resurrection gives you hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the empty tomb. We thank you, God, for the hope that we have because of that empty tomb. And God, we're so thankful that that tomb is not empty because someone stole your body or because it was a mistake. That tomb is empty because you are alive today and seated at the right hand of God. Now, Lord, I pray that you would help every believer this morning to understand the hope that the resurrection gives us Lord not just hope of our eternity but that's that's incredible but Lord hope of the forgiveness of our sins Lord there are people this morning that are that are struggling in their walk with you because of sin in their life is is keeping them from seeking you they don't feel worthy God, I pray that you would help them to understand that the empty tomb gives them hope that they can find forgiveness and reestablish that relationship with you. Lord, I pray for those who are watching or listening who, Lord, they don't know you as their Savior. Lord, they are living without hope because they have not put their faith and trust in the risen Savior. Lord, I pray that you would help them to understand, first of all, their need of salvation. Help them to understand that, God, they were born sinners. That, Lord, there's nothing they could do to earn your forgiveness or to earn your righteousness or to earn salvation. And, Lord, because of that, because you knew that, you loved them so much that you took on flesh. You came, you were born of a virgin, and you did what they could not do, You did what I could not do. You lived a perfectly sinless life. And Lord, then you died on the cross, not not for your sins because you had none, but Lord, you died for, for my sins. You died for their sins. Help them to understand that your death wasn't the result of a mock trial and you didn't have a good enough lawyer, that you willingly gave your life in their place. Help them to understand you willingly had the wrath of God for their sins poured out on you and you willingly paid their sin debt but Lord you didn't stay dead when you died three days later you rose from the grave victorious conquering death conquering hell conquering sin And making a way for man to get back to God. You made redemption for for man possible. Lord, you made a way for everyone who wanted to and everyone who believed to get back to God. Not because we deserved it, because we don't, but because you loved us that much. Help them understand that. Help them understand there's hope. As... Believers, continue to pray. I do want to speak to the folks who are watching this morning. You, you may be lost. As I preached or as I prayed, the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart, and you understood that you were one of the lost who did not have hope. I encourage you this morning: don't go another day without it. You're not promised tomorrow. The Bible says our life is but a vapor. If, if these times have taught us nothing should have taught us that life is fragile. Life is short. You may not have as long as you think. So if that's you and you're you're not sure you're saved, you're not sure you're a believer, but you believe that Jesus died for you. You believe that Jesus died to pay your sin debt and do what you couldn't do. You believe that because he died, was buried, and rose again, that you have the opportunity to be reconciled to God the Father. If you believe that, I want to lead you to a prayer. There's no power in the prayer. There's no magic in the prayer. The prayer is just you vocalizing that you believe you're a sinner, condemned to hell with no hope, but Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to give you hope. If you believe that, I'm going to pray just pray in your heart or pray out loud these words with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know and I believe that I am a sinner. I know and I believe that my sin will condemn me to hell for all of eternity. I know and I believe that there is no way I can ever pay my sin debt. There is no way I could earn my way out of hell. And Lord, I know and I believe that because of that and because of your love for me, you did for me what I could not do. Lord, you came as a, virgin, as a baby born to a virgin. Lord, you lived a perfect, sinless life. You died a substitutionary death on the cross in my place. You shed your blood to be the perfect sacrifice to pay for my sins. You were buried, and three days later, you rose from the grave, redeeming me to God the Father. Lord, I believe that. And Lord, I accept your death, your burial, and your resurrection as payment for my sin. Thank you, Lord, for doing for me what I could not do and giving me hope. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we want to rejoice with you. You're not alone. You are now on a new journey with your Savior. You have entered into a new relationship with God the Father. We want to help you. So I'm going to put some information on the screen here. And I encourage you, if if you prayed that prayer, if you accepted Christ as your Savior, reach out to us. So first of all, so we can rejoice with you so we can praise God that you've accepted Christ as your Savior, but also so we can help you on your new journey, so we can help you as you walk this new path with Jesus Christ. Thank you all so much for joining with us this morning. I hope you have a wonderful Easter. I know it's a little different. I know it's a little unique, but I hope you take today and you you spend some time with your family and you reflect on the resurrection of Jesus and you rejoice and praise God that he did what you could not do.